I'm Christina Cotarucci, and this season on Slow Burn. It's called Proposition 6. The Briggs Initiative. John Briggs is going to fire every gay and lesbian schoolteacher in California. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We can't let this happen in California. And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gaze Against Briggs. Out now, wherever you listen. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, friend, and a happy new year to you. We got a lot to talk about. We got a new year, a new you, a new me, and also new TV. Today on the podcast, we're going to enjoy ourselves, and we're going to talk about the biggest TV shows to look forward to in 2024. Big hint, Jodie Foster on your television. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud, and this is Commotion. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to see you. Happy New Year. Listen, it's the first day of a brand new year. Now, I don't know what you were up to last night. Maybe you were up late celebrating, or maybe you're just kind of generally wiped out after a pretty hectic holiday. But one thing that I do know is that there's nowhere better to be on New Year's Day than on your couch with the TV on, just enjoying some good television programming. This morning, we're ringing this new year with a conversation about all the good stuff that is coming to our screens this year, how 2024 is shaping up, and also when it comes to what, but also how we'll be watching television. Catherine Van Arendok is here. Chris Murphy is here. Mel Woods is here. Mel, Chris, Catherine, happy new year, y'all. Happy new year. Oh my gosh, I love this vibe. I love this energy. Listen, Mel, I'm going to start with you. I know we're talking about this new year's so much. But before we even look forward, maybe can we just take stock of the year that was in television? You know, just give me one sentence I would describe 2023 for you in terms of how TV was. You know, I think a phrase, it's not the most exciting phrase in the world, but I'm going to say treading water. It was a very <laughs> kind of steady, you know, the strike happened, but the strike didn't necessarily impact a lot of the TV that we saw last year. It was kind of consistent. We didn't have those massive tentpole releases necessarily that we've had in past years. Yeah. We saw some things come to an end that had been really defining things for a long time. You know, Succession ended, yeah. Riverdale ended, you know, the we kind of saw a lot of endings. A lot Mel, of- I know you didn't just put Riverdale and Succession <laughs> in the same sentence. I know you did. I mean, <laughs> the people, both the shows of the people, two yeah. Different kinds of people. The, 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 pe- the people's succession. That's what that's what people exactly. refer to as Riverdale quite commonly. Catherine, you got one sentence that could summarize what TV was like in 2023? TV in 2023 was concerned about its future. I think that's oh, no. really what it is, right? It was like Mel is exactly right. It felt like things were ending and it mm. felt like we weren't sure what those new things were going to be yet. Yeah. Um, these are quite grim descriptors. Chris, we heard <laughs> treading water and then we heard an even grimmer description, I would say, from Catherine. Chris, what do you got? I wish I could uh, turn it around for everyone, but I do think we're in the early to mid stages of decline of peak TV. I think that's what 2023 brought us, especially with the end of succession. I think we're forgetting we had some really high highs there, but not the lows kept getting lower and it feels like we're on a slippery slope that's headed down. I mean... That's, there was scandal. There was scandal. That's yeah. true. That's reality true. TV. The Vanderpump Rules. Yes. Uh, Mel, back to you and your description. You said treading water, and a lot of that had to do with this uncertainty of how the strikes would end up playing out. When we now think of 2024, how do you think that's going to affect what we see on the screens in this coming year? 
we're going to see some holes in the schedule. We're going to see those gaps. We're going to see those delayed productions of things like, you know, The Last of Us Season 2 that is like a very hotly anticipated thing that's been bumped back. You know, Yellow Jacket Season 3. These are the shows that I'm looking forward to more of, and I know that I'm going to have to wait a lot longer for them because of the strikes. And so as a result, I think that, you know, our streamers, our networks are going to Plug up the holes with some garbage, which I love garbage. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with plugging the holes with garbage. And sometimes you can get some surprise hits out of all of that. But, you know, we saw a lot of weird reality shows appear in the wake of 2008. And Mm. I think we're going to get some more. And, you know, streamers are already moving towards that. Netflix, I love the Netflix reality show machine Mm -hmm. that has given us Love is Blind and Real Squid Game and all that other stuff. Uh, I love the description, uh, just plugging the holes with some garbage, because like one of the things that we saw is not to be too rude, Catherine, to yield uh, Gilded Age, but look, that's not a show that one would have thought would occupy the prestigious 9 p.m. slot at HBO. (laughs) Clearly, the Gilded Age becomes a winner of the strike, right? Because, like, everything gets pushed further down. I mentioned earlier, you know, Jodie Foster coming to your television to Detective. That's gonna, that's supposed to arrive in January. That would have filled that spot that the Gilded Age found itself in. And so we kind of end up in this position where you're like, this is uh, – no one would describe this as prestige television. <laughs> but put it in the prestigious <laughs> slot. It doesn't matter. When you look back at the, at the strikes, what are some of the tangible upsides of the strike? Who are the winners of the strike when it comes to the TV that we're going to get this year? Well, I do think it is – incredibly important to remember that the winners of the strike are the people who make television, that Mm. people uh, in writers' rooms have more protections, they have better pay, they have um, more ability to visit the sets for the shows that they are making, and that uh, writers have been arguing all year long that these are not um, that this directly relates to the quality of the thing that you are watching. Right. I think because there will be less TV produced overall, it is still going to be a very challenging time to be making television because there are going to be fewer jobs. But the hope is that those jobs that do exist are going to be more sustainable for the people who work in them and who are going to be able to allow people to actually have careers in this industry rather than this endless. Mm a gig churn. I think the same is true on the actor side, although it is notable and uh, unclear, I think, about the way AI plays into acting work um, and the way that those protections were spelled out because it was not as resounding a sense of victory on that side as it was for for the writer's protections. And there's a lot of this kind of thing that we're going to have to watch, you know, over the next couple of years and the contracts will be up again, which is an important part of how these negotiations work. But it's sure. hard to know what that's going to look like in a couple more years. And Chris, when you think about the strikes, is there some, something that's like not so much an upside of the strikes and how it's going to affect what we see on television this coming year? Uh I do think, and Nell sort of touched on this, um, and I'm a big reality TV person. Let me just say that. (laughs) You're like, I'm not anti-reality TV. I am not anti-reality TV. And yet I do think studios and these networks realize that we'll watch whatever they put out. And that will uh, (laughs) maybe lead to sort of like lower quality. As Mel said, these shows, you don't have to spend as much money on a game show or a reality TV show if you can get, you know, a famous person to host it and then, you know, a couple people from the studio audience to come in and spin a wheel. And if that's on at 8 p.m., then that's what we're going to watch. So I, I do worry about the overall 
um, quality from both a production standpoint and a writing standpoint in reality TV, but also in television um, writ large. Things are beginning already, as Catherine said, things are looking very AI, very CGI. We're seeing these the vistas, the landscapes, the buildings. Um, it's all becoming a little uh, uncanny valley yeah. uh, and very uh, video gamey. So I worry, I worry about quality from that. Guys, can I just say I love us because this is New Year's Day and we're here kind of, kind of, kind of you know, giving this vibe that's like everything is a little bit worse. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> um, that's, that's okay because that's, that's, I mean, that's just the reality. That's just the reality of the industry that we're talking about. My name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud and this is our first commotion episode of the new year. We are welcoming this new year with Catherine Van Arendonk, Chris Murphy, and Bel- Mel Woods talking about TV that is coming our way in 2024. Catherine, I want to talk about a tweet that I saw. It's not your tweet because okay. I know I know HBO sees all your tweets, but this is not <laughs> this is not one of those stories. Okay, this is Adam Sternberg of the New York Times made this big splash recently. He wrote about how he'd been skeptical of the idea that TV execs were specifically asking for a quote second screen viewing, but then he heard a story firsthand from a writer, a TV writer who was asked to make laundry folding television. Does that track for you when you look at like the TV that's around right now? Yes. Yes, of course. There is a lot of laundry folding television. The thing that I really love about that, though, is that TV has always been laundry folding television, <laughs> like from the beginning of what television was in our lives. Its entire job was to be on while housewives did chores and then sold soap to them. Right. right. And then later, like my mother grew up calling it the idiot box. And what she meant was, yes, the dumbing down of, you know, the public yeah. life. But what she also meant was it is a thing you put on in the back. Like howdy duty was not gun smoke. These were not, you know, bastions of quality and so the idea that now we would be outraged that people are making laundry folding stuff is like yeah have you ever folded laundry in a laundromat csi has been on for decades that's what it's for and it's on the tv at the laundromat comforting comforting to me but if i could just push back on this a little bit like you know the the first time that i saw someone describing ambient tv tv this Mm. is kind of like around it was i think it was kyle chicken the new yorker maybe 2020 and he was talking about emily and Paris, which is like a show that if you like look down for two minutes to eight minutes to 12 minutes, you're not going to miss anything. Like not sure. not a lot is going to unfold on the screen. You might miss like a sumptuous shot or something, but that becomes laundry folding TV. So like it's meant to like a company, you know, it's, it's meant to accompany the chores that you're doing, mm. but it's not it's not the main focus. It's not it's not art. It's not. I would never miss a second of succession, for example, um, sure. to fold any laundry. And I've seen that show several times from the, from the beginning to the end. But when you see this rise of laundry folding television or the idea that networks are specifically asking for this, where do you see the evidence of this popping up? And also, like, is this good for the industry, do you think? I, I see the evidence popping up in, in Netflix. Um, Mm. Netflix is fighting for people's eyeballs, but what they don't actually want is your whole attention. They don't care. All they want is for you to keep running it constantly. And so if you can keep running it constantly while you are doing other things, that's actually a better scenario for them. And so there was this uh, report that came out very recently, an unusual new amount of data from Netflix that had the the total streaming numbers for six months out of uh, 2023. And 
the night agent was at the top of that uh, list. I show that I've heard zero people talk total about Total stream. Well, let me tell you, it begins with the premise, what if a phone, but at nighttime. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm always thinking that. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> uh, and it is a prime, prime laundry folding TV. But again, the one, the thing I want to point out is like TV as art. I love like my career is based on TV as art and my my deep fascination and fondness for it. But it is also a relatively new phenomenon in the history of this medium. Uh, and there is room for both. Uh, Mel, where, where are you at on this? Are you watching a lot of laundry folding television? Or are you like, no, I actually demand that the TV that I consume only be art? Well, it's such an interesting thing. You know, we're fresh off the holidays where I spent a lot of time visiting family and turning on the Food Network and just letting it roll for 14 hours in a day <laughs> or HGTV, Discovery sure. Channel. And, you know, I think for my generation where we are cord cutters, we don't have cable. You know, I think the streamers recognize that they want to provide that. They want to provide that 14 hour a day churn that you can just mm. run in the background. And And again, Netflix is doing that well and i think is going to keep on doing that because it's super cheap to make cooking shows and home decor shows and reality shows and those kind of procedurals and and churn but yeah i, I agree that's not a new phenomenon i mean friends is laundry folding tv yeah. buffy the vampire slayer i love buffy How but you can put a buffy you. episode on <laughs> and pop in and out at any point and i love that i think it's yeah. a good thing and I'm i'm curious to see how it continues to be a priority to appeal to those cord cutters who only are subscribed to streaming services and the streaming services are going to compete with each other of who's going to be turned on for 14 hours a day and just run. And again, I think Netflix is doing it best right now, but I've got Discovery Plus. It has all my Food Network shows. <laughs> I let it just run all day, but I, I want to capture the the algorithmic magic of cable TV Food Network somewhere. And I think yes. the streamer that does that is going to be what wins me over. Uh, Chris, I got to say, you know, I chafe at this idea of The Night Agent being the number one show. But you know what I watched is the Netflix show starring Noah Centineo, which is like almost entirely – like almost exactly the same premise, you know, <laughs> I, except just like make it CIA and sometimes he has to go places. <laughs> um, and I don't think I looked up from my phone even once during having that show. I was like, I just need something – and something in the background. Instead of putting on a playlist, I'm going to put on the show. And it did its job. I had a great time. I watched it all the way to the end, but I say watched it, not knowing how much <laughs> my eyes made actual connection with the screen. But does this connect to you with the idea that the era of prestige TV, the era of peak TV has come and gone? Well, yeah, and I think actually you hit the nail on the head because you just said Noah Centineo. You just named a star, right? Even <laughs> if we don't think that he's like that great of an actor, you've yeah. named a person. Yeah. Can we name a star from the Night Agent? Can you name a star from Ginny <laughs> no. and Georgia? Hong Chow was in the well, Night Agent. Okay. How dare you? Yeah, I believe movie, you. She's a movie actress, and that's completely different. You have to stop <laughs> She's not a star because of the Night Agent. She's a star because of the whale. And other, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So I think the problem with ambient TV, and as Mel said, we've had this friends as ambient, Buffy, you could say too, they minted real stars, actual stars that mattered in culture, yeah. whereas the proliferation of this sort of like, uh, you know, ambient, not really paying attention TV that we can look at our phones, we're not getting the same amount or we could argue caliber of, you know, movie star, TV star, cultural figure 
that we used to get yeah. from television, from the medium. And that makes the whole entertainment industry suffer because we're not getting TV stars. We're not getting movie stars. We're not getting movie stars. We're not getting pop stars. So it's all connected. And I do think having cultural icons and touchstones is sort of an important thing that brings us all together that keeps us watching these shows that like we could just like look at our phones and whatnot. But it's like, oh, like I kind of like Noah Centenaire. I'm going to look up a couple of times and be like, oh, wow, I feel good about that. Whereas <laughs> we're not really getting that with a lot of these shows. So I do think we're transitioning. And the sad thing and the scary thing to me is that the what's swooping in is, you know, our TikTok stars and our Instagram influencers. Yeah. And that's sort of taking the purview that used to belong to people who I'll say it had talent. You could say it's ambient, but to make me want to watch it, you got to wow. have some talent. Not that TikTok and Instagram influencers don't, but it's a different. You can say they piece. don't. You don't. You're not. Gonna, you don't have you to know, hold I'm going to say they here. don't. I'm going to say that they don't. And I, say it with <laughs> your chest. Lead into it. It's great. Uh, it's a new year. It's a- they don't have talent. I'm <laughs> new year, new you. Let's go. Yeah, uh, Catherine. I got to say, when you think back to the early days of television and even the rise of cable. It was kind of mostly mid content, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was it was fine for it to be kind of mid. Our streamers are suddenly realizing, you know what? Maybe we don't need to completely reinvent the wheel on this one and only serve people prestige television. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's certainly the case. I think a lot of what's also happening is just sheer bulk, right? Like yeah. for quite a long time, prestige eventually created its own form of midness where it was like all of these shows were trying to mimic what they thought prestige television looked like <laughs> without actually having any yes. of the creative um, like innovative thought behind what it would actually make a good show that people wanted to watch. And so the empty aesthetics of like what prestige TV created its own special mid tier. Like, do you want to name names? You're totally welcome to name names if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Oh God, the one that really stood out to me this last, there was, it was the year before last was the Essex serpent. It was on Apple TV plus it starred Claire Danes. It's an adaptation of a book. No one remembers it at all. The way Chris is like, like, I don't, did I have and a brain Tom, blip completely? Tom Hiddleston. Julia Roberts was in a show about the Watergate. Like, I cannot name that show. I could not possibly name that show for um, you. Thank no, you, Chris. I appreciate it. I that. knew that one, but the other <laughs> one, completely no idea what you're talking but ex- about. <laughs> exactly. And so it, it, the d- discovery was not that. Um, prestige television, you know, doesn't have worth anymore. The discovery was when people want to watch mid, they want to watch mid, right? Like yeah. those shows don't work because people put them on and they're like, I don't know, it's asking too much of me and yet it sucks. What's wrong here? <laughs> and so the the procedural was it, it, one of the inc- most incredible inventions in like 20th century fiction for a reason. Like right. it works. It works for the way our brains work. It works for our lives. And and yes, it creates this incredible stars. David Crumholtz was on a procedural for years called Numbers, where the E was a three. And he's now in Oppenheimer, right? Like, <laughs> there. this is like an important cultural institution. And I do think one of the fascinating things about streamers is that they don't have procedurals really yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. And that I'm always curious, like, will they figure out procedurals? I'll tell you this. I watched the entirety of The Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, mm-hmm. both Hell seasons. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is what my brain is looking for. I yeah. want, mm-hmm. you know, Mickey's going to solve it by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, and we'll be like, oh, a new mystery box has been unlocked. Let's find out what happens tomorrow. You know? It's the we get back in the car. It's the 
yeah. suits, suits of it all. It's suits. Suits was so big this summer because, you know, that's we're looking for that on Netflix. We don't really they don't have a suits yet. They don't. Yeah. They they fed us all these large procedurals and uh, last sorry, large prestige shows. And then all we were looking for is like, can you just put my brain in one track and mm-hmm. never make it escape that track? And you know what? I'm I'm on board with that. Uh Mel, I do have to note. You know, these streamers are also suddenly starting to talk about bundling together. Be like, hey, maybe you want to pay one price and you get two streamers, three streamers all in one, which sounds a lot like television, Mel. That sounds exactly like (laughs) the thing that we allegedly got away from. What is going on there? Well, it's such an interesting thing coming from here in Canada where we kind of already do that, where it's like if I want max content, I go to Crave and – you know, there's some like Discovery Plus has HGTV and Food Network bundled under it, but also is where I go watch my Naked and Afraid reruns. And like, <laughs> we kind of, I can yes. see that happening. Like Hulu, where do I watch a Hulu show in Canada? Usually on Disney Plus, but yeah. not always on Disney Plus. And I think that's kind of points towards where we're going with it. And, and you know, these, with them raising these fees too, suddenly, you know, you're subscribed to five, six, seven different streamers. You might as well have cable. So I think that in order to <laughs> yeah. do that the, the streamers have to kind of find that perfect little line to get as much money out of us as possible while giving us the content that we'll watch and it's such a little needle to thread for them yeah. but again i think that bundling is going to be the future and i think it's going to be a combination of bundling and new upstart streamers that are operating at a higher pay grade frankly um, yeah. or giving you more exclusive content that are specific just to them what, what i like about this is that um we spent all this time being like streamers will reinvent television it will reinvent the way that you consume all this information. It will reinvent the way that you pay for all of this. And also, you will get these high-quality shows from Kevin Spacey, who will be this politician who's real conniving. We'll spend a lot of money on this show. It'll be what very, a time. Right? Uh, we It'll were be, so young then. We didn't know <laughs> we're anything. so young and foolish back then. <laughs> but then we got to come around to this moment and go like, actually, television was a pretty good business model. We should yes. try to recreate that, but in streaming. And it is both um, comforting in the sense of like, well, I know what this is. This is just TV. You've just taken it to the internet. Or it's also in the other the other end of it is like you kind of go like, okay, but now give me the procedurals. Give me the stuff that I actually turn to television for. I like that this is where we're at. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If folks are just tuning in, my name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud, and this is day one of Commotion of 2024. Catherine Van Arendonk is here, Chris Murphy's here, Mel Woods is here. And now we got to get to the good stuff. We're going to go around, and each of you is going to give me a recommendation. Something that you're looking forward to from the year 2024. Catherine, I'll start with you. What are you most looking forward to this year? Oh my gosh, most looking forward to. I mean, there's a long list of things that I'm that I'm looking forward to Hit in me. spite of in spite of my previous pessimism. I want to know. <laughs> this is the thing about TV. Okay. TV taketh away, but it also giveth. <laughs> um I I am 
enthusiastic in spite of myself about a new season of True Detective starring Jodie Foster. I think uh, that yes. it franchise has been uh, has gone through some ups and downs, but the new season looks very, very creepy. It looks uh, alarming and uh, very cold and scary. And I think that show does best when it's like very scary. And, and that season uh, bodes well. Um I have to note that there's 10 more episodes of Bluey coming out uh, <laughs> this year, very shortly. Best television uh, so show for children on any platform right now. 100%. Par- parents rejoice. Yes. Uh, that's not nothing. Um, and then, you know, there's a there's a lot of stuff. I, I am cautiously enthusiastic about an FX show called Shogun that's coming out in February um, that uh, is an adaptation of a TV classic miniseries that is itself an adaptation of a book and has been sort of reworked and reimagined for 2024. Mm. Um, And it's just one of those big sumptuous productions where you're like, hell yeah, they put a lot of money into it and I can see it. Uh, (laughs) And it, you know, I love a palace intrigue show also. So Catherine's like, show me the money on the screen. (laughs) Show me the money. Show me that you spent this actual money that's right uh, mel what about you uh three things from me number one more love is blind is coming and i will be seated and i think it's valentine's day premiere i'm i'm ready for straight mess heterosexual nonsense i want to absorb it all uh in the prestige realm i'm really really intrigued by the fallout show that is mm. coming later this year i think the last of us gave us a really interesting model for video game adaptations and we've not seen video game adaptations be done successfully and yeah. we get Ella Purnell from Yellow Jackets in there and I, you know, Jackie R.I.P. from Yellow Jackets and I, I love to see her thriving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the last thing I want to shout out actually is a smaller um, streamer that really had a huge 2023 that I think is going to continue to pop off in 2024 and that's Dropout um, on the comedy mm. side, mm. which does a lot of improv comedy. You know, they really popped off last year for their D&D show that they did Dungeons and Drag Queens and are really, really kind of beloved by certain corners of the internet that I'm on and I'm really excited to see what kind of innovations they do on mm-hmm. a smaller scale. You know, you talk about that really niche space and not trying to be something for everybody, but trying to do something really, really well for the people who want it. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what kind of a story dropout becomes in 2024, because I think they're poised to really break beyond a certain corner of Tumblr nerd and into the the mainstream. And I think yeah. it's going to be really interesting to watch. I don't think I knew about the Fallout adaptation. I find that really exciting because like that's a, that's a video game that was really important to me when mm. in my video game playing day. So I'm Really looking forward to that. Uh, Chris, take us home, pal. What are you looking forward to? Well, okay. Well, I'll start with uh, Lowbrow. And uh, I think a new season of Vanderpump Rules is going to be great. It comes <laughs> in a couple of weeks and we're coming to... to the whole, the whole chat so is doing fist bumps. This is great. All right, let's go. <laughs> yes. The biggest story of the year in reality TV. What do you do afterwards? Maybe it's Ariana's villain season. I would love to see it. Um, so that's that's one thing. But on the highbrow sort of spectrum, I'm super excited. And I have I do admit I've seen the first two episodes. So uh, I know it's good. Um, for Feud Capote versus the swans which is on fx yeah um it stars tom hollander from the white lotus Naomi watts who's so fantastic they're both fantastic as babe paley the one good thing about streaming i will say we've been so negative about it but the good <laughs> thing is that because there's so much tv when a network can get it right and they know that we can do a micro niche thing for a micro niche audience and do it really well and we don't have to appeal to all the masses because it's not going to play in peoria at 7 p.m we can give the girls and the gays exactly what they want and that is what feud in capote versus the swans 
does. It is so it's sumptuous. It's it's glamorous. It's high drama. It's all about Capote fighting with the sort of the the swans of New York, these um, very rich, important women, society women, um, and how their relationship completely crumbles when he writes an expose about them in Esquire magazine. And it's really fantastic. It takes big swings. The acting is phenomenal. And it's like feels like it's made just for me and my friends. And I love that. So I, I can't recommend it enough. That's beautiful. And that's a wonderful note to leave it on. Catherine, Chris, Mel, thank you so much for your time. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And to you, of course. (laughs) Happy New Year. Catherine Van Arendock is a TV critic at Vulture. Chris Murphy is a writer for Vanity Fair. He co-hosts a podcast called Still Watching. Both Chris and Catherine are in New York. And Mel Woods is a senior editor at Extra Magazine. They live in Vancouver, British Columbia. And that is it for the podcast today. Hey, remember you can listen to any episode of the show anytime you like, wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. Happy New Year to you. We will see you tomorrow. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.